We are looking at Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 11. We're going to read down to verse 32. And here Luke writes these words. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him and put a ring in his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive he was lost and is found you may be seated this ends the reading of god's holy and inspired word this morning well i have three sons and they are all very close in ages and they all fall very uh properly into those categories of firstborn to youngest in their personalities they're all very different One of the amazing things of life is how uh, you can have children from the same parents from the same womb and they can be so very different. My firstborn son is the typical firstborn. My youngest son is the typical youngest son. And all of us have known in our own experiences those dynamics of living lives in our parents' homes. Some of us had very good experiences with our parents growing up. Some perhaps did not. And yet all of us understand the dynamics of living together under the same roof in the same house in those various callings in which God has called us. And it shouldn't be surprising that the Savior of the world chooses that illustration when he is dealing with the Pharisees and the tax collectors 
in the church of God, the religious leaders who are opposing him while he is receiving and welcoming tax collectors and prostitutes to himself, forgiving them, redeeming them, and cleansing them. And the religious leaders in Israel are angry that he's doing that. Um, That's the backdrop of this parable that Jesus tells. Now, Leading up to this, there are two other parables, and Luke is the only one of the gospel writers that tells us about these parables. It is the parable of the lost coin, it is the parable of the lost sheep, and it is the parable of the lost son. And each one of those parables gets increasingly more personal and increasingly more important. A a sheep is worth more than a coin, and a son is worth more than a sheep. And Jesus is strategically telling these stories about things that are lost and found and the joy that comes as a result of finding what was lost um, in the context of his polemics with the Pharisees and the scribes and the chief priest who hated the very things that the Savior was doing. Notice there in verse 1 of chapter 15, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So that's the background. That's the context in which Jesus tells this story about a father and his two sons. And this story, in many respects, is told from three perspectives. Jesus was the master storyteller. He tells this story from the perspective of the prodigal son. He tells the story from the perspective of the waiting father, and he tells the story from the perspective of the older brother. And there's something in all of those things that is meant to resonate with our hearts. This parable is is so much a mirror in which we are to find out where we are. Um, You know, Jesus's parables are not cute stories. They're often very uncomfortable. The older I get, the less I like looking in a mirror. That there's a sense in which when we look into the mirror of the parables, we don't like what we see, and yet we need to do that in order to see our need for the Savior. And so Jesus is holding this parable out um, to show these three perspectives about what's going on in the lives of those in the Father's house. It is not, let me say this by way of preface, this parable is not a complete summary of the gospel. We'll talk about that at the end. This is, this is one aspect. This is teaching one beautiful truth about the grace of God in bringing rebellious sinners home to himself and the joy that ought to result from that. And yet it is a parable. It is, it is a Analogy, as it were. Now, I want us to consider this morning those three things. First, I want us to look at the the prodigal son, and then secondly, I want us to look at the waiting father, and then finally at the elder brother. Well, you know this story so well. Most of you could probably rattle it off uh, by memory. It's one of those accounts that we learned uh, when we were children. If you grew up in a church, uh, and yet there are so many contours and layers here. Here you have. Uh, a father with two sons, and, and one of those sons begins to grow discontent in the father's home. I've, I've been that son. I was very much the prodigal son. And 
he wanted to get as far away from the Father as possible. And, and not only that, he is self-absorbed and self-centered and self-pleasing. He, he wants the inheritance. Maybe that would have been a third of what uh, the Father had since he was the younger son. And, and instead of waiting for the inheritance, he goes to the Father and says, give me. That's, that's the most remarkable opening statement of what's going on in this young man's heart. Give me. Is the first words out of his mouth. Give me. Give me my portion of the inheritance. Um, now, the son is not just wanting the inheritance before his time. He is essentially saying to his father, I wish you were dead. He's telling the father, I wish you were dead. Um, He hates his father. And he loves himself and he's absorbed with himself. And he goes to the father and says, Father, give me the share of the property. And notice Jesus says that the father divided the property between them. He didn't hold it back. He, he gave the son what he wanted. Um, there's a picture, I think, of the prodigal son in um, John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress where he sets out the picture of uh, patience and passion, the two boys, and the one is waiting for the inheritance and the other is, is falling all over himself trying to get it right then and there, passion. This is, this is passion. This boy wants it and the father gives it to him. And then Jesus tells us, and you know the story, that he takes everything. He probably sold those possessions. The, the language, he gathered it all up is a banking term. He, he got all the money for all the goods. He took all the money. He went, Jesus says, into the far country. Now, you will know, if you know your Bibles, that the far country is shorthand for the Gentiles. In a sense, Jesus is saying this man has left home and has gone to the pagan nations. He has, he, has, he has apostatized, as it were. It seems that he has, he has left the church. He has, he has gone to the, to the far country. And there, Jesus says, he squandered his property in reckless living. Now, um, we are not told right there what that reckless living was. We're told later by the older brother that it was prostitutes and partying. So he had gone as far into the far country as is possible. But here's the interesting thing. When he was in the father's house, he was already in the far country. His heart was already in the far country. And he followed what was in his heart. And then he squandered everything he had and his life just spiraled down to the point where he had hired himself out to someone who didn't care for him to do a job that a Jewish man or woman would be forbidden to do because pigs were unclean. And now even lower than the pig itself was desiring to eat the very food that they gave to the pigs. And no one, Jesus says, gave him anything. Now, um, some of you maybe have known what it is to hit rock bottom. This this boy has hit rock bottom. And yet it took a long time for him to realize who he was. Notice that Jesus says, and the turning point for this son is verse 17, 
when he came to himself. I love that. That's, there's just some of the sweetest words in the Bible. That's how Jesus explains repentance in this parable. It's coming to yourself. So many people are living in the world unaware of who they really are. You know, I think about parenting myself and so much of the calling that we have as fathers and mothers is to help our children see who they are because so many times we don't come to terms with who we really are. This young man had been living a lie about himself. Um, he was unaware of what he was like. And then Jesus says, because there were all these things, the severe famine, all the things that providentially were bringing him to this place of uh, absolute um, abandonment, Jesus says, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. Now, he begins to think to himself, and I love this. Jesus opens a, a window for us into this young man's heart, and he says, he begins to reason uh, where I am and where I was and what life in the father's house was like and, and what it's like for me now. And, and he realizes it would be better for me to be one of my father's servants. Now, this thought is not in itself commendable. We are not to commend the son for thinking, if I could just go be a slave for my father, things would be good. Because he's still misviewing who the father is. This is hugely important to get. He is, he is thinking of the father as a, as a taskmaster. The older brother is going to do the same. And, and he's not thinking of the relationship of him being a son to the father. That relationship of love, you know, this ought to carry our minds back to the Garden of Eden um, when God created Adam and the serpent came in to tempt our first parents and um, God had said, you can eat of every tree of the garden. It's all yours, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil so that you'll remember that I'm the creator and you're the creature, and yet God's bounty was such that he said to Adam, you can have the whole world. And remember, Satan comes in, and what does Satan do? He says, he, he twists and manipulates that statement to cast aspersions on the very character of God. He says, he says, um, he says did God indeed say that, that you can't eat of any of the trees of the garden? You see what he's doing? He's trying to make God look unmerciful. He's trying to make... The creator look harsh and cruel. The son has that mindset about his father. His mindset is, I, maybe I'll just go back and I'll, I'll, I'll slave for him. And it'll be better for me to be a slave there than to be a slave here. And so he conjures up what he's going to say. He, he summons up the strength to go back. Verse 18, he says, I will arise and go to my father. I will say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. Now, it is commendable that he's going home to the father. That's, that's the goal of this parable for us to get is that we are to go home to the father. Um, in one sense, the father is a picture of Jesus, the compassion he's going to show. In another sense, this is a picture of the relationship that God sustains to his children. Um, and so from the perspective of the younger son, there is selfishness, there is waste. Um, 
there is need, and then there are wrong thoughts about the Father. But then secondly, I want us to consider the perspective of the Father. Notice the Son is on his way back. Jesus says he arose and came to his Father, but while he was still a long way off, his Father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. This is one of the most glorious statements of how God views sinners. That's the context. Jesus is ministering to tax collectors and prostitutes. They are listening to him. And he's telling this story that what's happening, and and he's telling the religious leaders in Israel, see, this is God's disposition toward returning sinners, no matter where they've been, no matter how far gone they are, no matter how far out in the far country they've been. It doesn't matter. The father loves his children so much that he is waiting and looking as it were. It's a metaphor. He's, he is eager. He sees the son a far way off. He doesn't wait for the son to come all the way to him, does he? He runs to the son. He girds up his whatever he's wearing and he runs to the son and embraces him and kisses him. You know, Sinclair Ferguson makes an interesting point about this parable. He says that um, really what what the father, what what the younger brother cost the father was the shame of the family name. I want you to think about this, especially if you're a parent. What 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 the younger son going out into the far country really brought to the father by way of harming him was the dishonor and the shame that he would have brought. You can imagine people in the village talking about what what a shameful family this was. And yet, what does the father do? This is beautiful. The father runs and he embraces the son and he absorbs the shame. Isn't that beautiful? He absorbs the shame. Um, Ferguson says this ought to remind us of Hebrews 12, too which says, um, for the joy set before him, the Lord Jesus despised the shame. He endured the cross. He absorbs our shame, not just our guilt, but the shame of what we've been. He absorbs it. Isn't that beautiful? The father embraces the son. He weeps on the son. He kisses the son. He showers the son with affection. You know, sometimes I think, especially in the Reformed Church, we we are so afraid of uh, therapeutic gospel, and we should be, and psychology, that we miss some of the glorious, beautiful nuances of what the Bible teaches about the affection of God toward his children, the love of the Father toward his children, the embrace of the Father. Isn't that beautiful? He embraces them. The son says what he planned to say to the father. And notice in verse 20, uh, I'm sorry, he he says in verse 21 what he he had predetermined to say. But notice verse 22, Jesus said, but the father said to his servants. It says if he cuts him off, notice he says, bring the best robe, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, bring the fatted calf. Let's eat and celebrate. There is music and there is dancing. This is a glorious party. This father had so much wealth that he could afford to do those things. Even the son taking his portion of the inheritance did not 
in any way hinder the bounty of the father. And the father stood ready to just show all of that goodness and bounty to his returning son. He didn't deserve it. You know, if we view our relationship with God as that of a slave to a harsh taskmaster, then we will never get the glorious doctrine of grace that is painted all over this story. The son didn't deserve another penny from the father. The father went above and beyond to shower his bounty and goodness on the returning son. You know, I was thinking recently how beautiful the language in Joel is. God sends these devouring locusts and armies against his people for their rebellion. And then he says, right at the turning point, he says, I will restore the years the locusts have eaten. I will restore to you the years the locusts have eaten. That's a gospel promise. This is a gospel picture. The son is getting more than he ever had. He's, he's learning more about the heart of the father. He's learning... He's learning that he ought to love the Father for who the Father is. Well, as this celebration is going on, there is a third perspective to this passage, and it is that of the older brother. Um, This parable is so much about the older brother as it is about the prodigal son. And the older brother is actually in just as precarious a situation as the younger son. He's a lover of money. He loves money. Remember, the younger brother loved money and wanted to go squander it on pleasure. The older brother also loved money and is angry that the father would use any of his resources for the younger son. The older brother is silently rebellious. He is like so many in the church who is, is inwardly rebellious. He also has misapprehensions about who the father is. He, he says to the father, notice, when he's angry and, and, and his demeanor is uh, coming out, his anger is bursting out. He, it's as if he can't withhold the anger anymore. Out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth has to speak. And notice, notice that he says to his father in verse 29, look, these many years I have served you, slaved for you. These many years I have served you. And I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat to celebrate with my friends. And then the disdain that he has for his brother. But he he doesn't even call him my brother. Jesus intentionally moves between language about these figures. He says, when this son of yours, he despises the father. He's obedient. He is rigid and structured. He's living a very precise life, and yet how he views God is exactly the way the rebellious son views God. Isn't that interesting? They both have wrong views about who the father is. The father also deals mercifully with him. Notice the father says to him, son, you are always with me. Now, it's very interesting. Who is Jesus telling this parable to again. He's telling it to the Pharisees, the religious leaders who are so self-righteous. You know, very interesting, the younger son, he's self-consumed, and it's easy for us to see that, but the Pharisees are just as self-consumed. 
they're just as self-aggrandizing and self-pleasing and it's just a, a different form of rebellion yet the father says to them and jesus says to them all that i have is yours i think he's speaking about the covenant privileges and and all of the bounty god showed israel here at that time but but why is jesus why is he ending this parable in this way you know it's become sort of acceptable for us to be um, very merciful to the wayward because we understand that they need compassion and they need to be brought back to the Father. And, and perhaps we become harsher with the self-righteous and um, uh, the... The legalist, the Pharisee, I think of the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. We often can have compassion on the tax collector because of his brokenness and yet despise the Pharisee. Jay Gretchen Machen said this, despise the Pharisee in a Pharisaic manner. Isn't that interesting? We can, but, but here Jesus is pursuing the Pharisees. He's, he's not only telling them what he's doing with tax collectors and prostitutes in redeeming them. He is telling this story so that the self-righteous will come off of their self-righteousness and will come to him. Um, we are all in this parable somewhere. And you may be converted. Certainly the, the prodigal son was unconverted, and this is a process of conversion for him. And maybe you're not converted, and you need to be born of God's spirit, and you need to come home to the Father. And this this account is meant to drive you into the arms of Christ and to bring you home to God. Um, That's the right response. Um, Maybe you're unconverted and you're just very legalistic and you view your relationship with God as a sort of slave to a taskmaster. You also need to come to the arms of Jesus and be brought home to God. But in the Christian life, we can also find ourselves vacillating between these two extremes, can't we? If we're truly born again, we can find ourselves going, our hearts being pulled to the world, our, our hearts being pulled to our own self-righteousness, uh, being lovers of pleasure, lovers of money. Um, and this parable is meant for us to come into the arms of Jesus and to be brought back to God. Now, as I said at the outset, this is not a full picture of the gospel. B.B. Uh, Warfield, the Lion of Princeton, great uh, 19th century theologian, wrote a lecture on this, and he explained how many people misuse this passage and that this, there's no atonement in this passage. How, what, what, enables, what enables the Son to be embraced by the Father. And, and in his day, Machen said that theological liberals were using this passage to say, see, there's no need for an atonement. God is just welcoming everyone. Everyone is God's son. Everyone is brothers. It's the brotherhood of all men. It's the fatherhood of God. And, and Warfield went to great length to say this is teaching one aspect of the Christian life, and it's teaching the relationship between those who are far from God in their hearts in very different ways, and yet one being brought back by the grace of repentance. 
But I think it's interesting. There is a third son here, and it's the one telling the story. And he's going to the cross to lay down his life and shed his blood to enable rebellious prodigals and rebellious older brothers to be embraced by God. The one telling the story is the son going to the cross who is going to be forsaken by God. He's going to be cut off from fellowship with his father. Who's going to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is going to go to the far country of God's wrath. And he's going to suffer all of the shame and all of the guilt. He's going to shed all of his blood for all of his people to bring those who are far from God back to him. I don't know where you are this morning. Um, I know that I need to be reminded of these truths all the time. This is not just for children. This is not just a this is not just a a uh, introductory lesson to the Christian life. These are truths we need to be reminded of constantly. Maybe you have misplaced views of God. I I certainly have. We all do. When we sin, we have misplaced views of God. Maybe we feel like we've sinned too much and God is not going to receive us back. This account, our Lord tells us, is he comes running out and rejoices to receive returning sinners, no matter where they've been. Isn't that beautiful? You come to God and you pour out your heart to him and he embraces you and he lavishes you with his goodness again. Um, maybe you are struggling with a slave mentality in your relationship with the Lord. Jesus would have you understand um, the only people who understand the love of their father are those who understand that he loves every one of his sons and he will not have them be a slave and view him as a, a harsh taskmaster. I hope that this will encourage you wherever you are right now in your life. I hope that you'll be encouraged uh, to examine where you are, and I hope that you'll come to the one telling the story who's going to hang on the cross for the sins of his people. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear this morning what the Spirit says to the church. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we do ask that you would take these truths, that you would open our minds and hearts to understand them in new and fresh ways. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that you would show us where we are in this parable, that you would show us who you are, who your Father in heaven is. Lord, we pray that you would draw us into your embrace this morning, that you would again make us to know your love and compassion, to know your bountiful goodness, and your readiness and eagerness, not only to receive sinners, but to rejoice over those who return to you. Oh God, would you give us grace to stay close to you and to abide under the loving care of your home. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.